Welcome in for another episode of Three Point Range. And it is, at long last, NCAA Tournament Week, Selection Sunday behind us. And uh, as you know, we're all obsessed with that sport. And uh, I think there'll be a good amount of talk about that sport, but not exclusively this week. This is Mike Berardino, uh, as always, joined by Kimball Crosley down at spring training and the professor, Tim Crothers in Chapel Hill. He will lead us off. Well, yeah, I, as you guys know, I was prepared to go ahead and make my picks to the NCAA tournament right now. I mean, you know, I, I have that that sort of wisdom that it doesn't take me days and days and days of grinding through this. But in fact, that's kind of what my point is about uh, today, that, that I have been right about the NCAA bracket. I mean, sure, it was 32 years ago, but, but I have been right about the NCAA bracket. It was uh, 1989, and I was a cocksure young prognosticator looking for an edge, and I found it when Michigan coach Bill Frieder accepted the Arizona State job just two days before the NCAA tournament began. Surprisingly to Frieder, Wolverines AD Bo Schembechler sent him packing to Tempe immediately, insisting a Michigan man will coach Michigan and replacing Frieder with little-known assistant coach Steve Fisher. I remember telling anyone who would listen that Michigan, a three-seed, would now win the NCAA tournament. People looked at me like I was nuts. But I thought the Wolverines would be uniquely motivated by this snub. I even gave it a name, the Frieda Factor. And I'm sure you both will bear witness to the fact that that is the case. Michigan went on to beat Xavier, South Alabama, our beloved Tar Heels, particularly Kimball's, uh, Virginia, and Illinois to reach the title game. And then behind 34 and 11 from Glenn Rice, they beat Seton Hall 80 to 79 in overtime in one of the best national finals ever. By the way, things didn't go too well for Bill Frieder during his tenure as the Sun Devils coach. He was dismissed a few years later in a point-shaving scandal. Meaning history tells us now that Bill Frieder is more integral to a Michigan natty than any of the Fab Five. Wouldn't it be interesting if Juwan Howard could change that this year? Anyway, when it comes to the bracket... It feels like I haven't picked a game right since, much less a champion. You guys any better at this? Well, I, I remember the 90, yes, and I remember a couple of things. Uh, 93, you, you jumped on uh, uh, the Jason Kidd Cal Bears, right? There's the Bose, you had the yep. Bose Mania. Yep. You thought you had yep. the same Bose thing. They, yep. they knocked Duke like out. They knocked out I like Duke. to have a theme, as you know, every year. I like to pick a theme. Uh, and so, yeah, Frieder Factor, Bose Mania. Um, yeah, I've had many, and all of them have been miserably bad except for the Frieder Factor. There's nothing that approximates that in terms of a recent uh, uh, coaching change or anything. I suppose you're, you're suggesting Juwan Howard is the closest you can come since he, he attempted to channel John Chaney by telling – Mark Turgeon, he would kill him, which was great. Mm -hmm. I mean, I thought I covered Juwan Howard a little bit with the heat, and he was pretty laid back and a, and a gentleman and and uh, and professorial. And then and suddenly he 
he apparently, according to the Maryland side of it, was threatened to kill Mark Turgeon. Uh, the other thing is that 89 game, I'll, I'll just add, now that was a game, I've talked a lot here about the Illinois loss to Carolina in the national championship game of 05 that cost me a couple grand. But in 89, that was the last game I covered for the Daily Tar Heel because I would I'd waited my turn, waited my turn, and finally I was on that uh, tournament beat. I was the guy covering that game, covering the Tar Heels as far as they would go. And if they had gotten to Seattle, I was going to get to go to Seattle. And uh, I always root of blatant self-interest. I don't really, it didn't really bother me that much if one way or the other, but that was my final four trip that Glenn Rice took away. And um, it was painful. That was, that part was myself for me. I mean, I remember of course, Jeff Lebo being devastated and, and others, all the targets. but, <laughs> but it was more about, about me. Well, I was sad. <laughs> I felt for him. I felt for him going in that locker room, the, the back when you could go into the locker room so readily, but uh yeah, that was that was a that was a stunner, and um, especially in the semifinals, and then uh, then it was um, Virginia next that uh, that they took out. Uh, but Michigan, yeah, Glenn Rice was just insane, and only years later do we learn that Glenn Rice had met uh, uh, some uh, a local journalist, local television journalist at the uh, Great Alaskan Shootout earlier that same season, and who knows how inspired he was by the the friendship that he had. Uh, he <laughs> created with young Sarah Palin. Anyway, Kimball. <laughs> really? really? Wow, okay. Oh, that's that true. Was, Where you been? That, that was a been? big time ding. Where you okay. been? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, missed that. I, are you sure that's true, Mike? <laughs> we don't really doubt your. We don't doubt your dings. We don't even. Do, I don't know if Tim bothers to fact check your dings. I don't care if it's true. I you just can't take our names. Like just any fun name. I'm going to make Sarah Palin in here somehow, and I, it's that's totally true. Glenn Rice has spoken about it on the record um, that he did meet Sarah Palin, and the only uh, uncertainty is just how well they got to know each other. But I'm not here. I'm not here to talk about the past. She was a, she was a journalist, a sports journalist. Just briefly, she was known as the Sarah Barracuda or whatever. She had played a little basketball. She got to be on local. She was the local sports anchor briefly like weekend sports anchor in alaska in anchorage michigan was on that trip great wow. alaska shootout as if the journalism game. profession had not taken enough hits <laughs> before she, that she scored oh, an exclusive man. exclusive with glenn rice and then there have there's from there the stories diverge well no tim you you have made many fun picks over the years and we all know like the tournament giveth and taketh away and and that was a and that was a great one. Uh, and I assume, like, we should say that we we do plan on doing a podcast where we will predict our winners for this tournament. Um, and otherwise, a I think... Collective sigh of relief from our... No, but I think, I think you were teasing, and I think you might have been teasing that you might have been going with Michigan. And Michigan, of course, seemed like as good a pick as there is this out of Gonzaga... <laughs> um, and and but of course now this injury delivers and of course now it's like everyone's jumping off the bandwagon and you know when you speak of michigan i will say that um uh, another baseball scout who literally wrote the book on michigan he wrote he went to michigan and he wrote uh, a book on john beeline and his success at michigan um 
and I was like messaging him, and I was saying like, are, are we really are even are you ready to bail on on Michigan? I mean, it's a pretty deep team, and you know, teams of injuries. But is is it uh, people are really sounding like the death sentence for this team that which was looking so good, so good, and has as as a great resume. And so I don't know. I don't know if I I love that you might be. I don't know if you want to give away your pick, but I hope you. I'm not. I'm not giving away my pick, but yeah, uh, I think we've. I think we have. We have thoroughly. We our our readers are salivating now for our for our our knowledge, and that's good. I mean, our listeners. Ah, <laughs> oh, I just. But all right, so you. Who is uh, that? Who is that, Kimball? Are you at liberty to say? I guess, yeah, no, it's Tim. It's Tim Rooney. He, he's a scout. I I worked with him with the Blue Jays, and it was only a few years ago that I hmm. that I found out. He he loved college basketball as well, and that he and that he actually wrote this book, and it's a good book on Beeline. And, and Beeline, you know, uh, really has been a great coach. I mean, he went to the NBA, and now you know it's like he's not coaching college anymore. But wow, he really had great success there, and um, came so close to winning it all once or twice. Twice, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah, Tim, you're not going to give away any more than that, huh? No, we I we decided inside baseball. We decided we're not giving our stuff away. Well, until we can still give away certain picks, certain no, ideas. No, I'm with you. Can tell us. All right. No. All right. Well, I'm, I teased it. All right. Uh, anything more to add in your point, Tim, or uh, want me to segue into my NCAA tournament? No, I mean, I as you know, I was prepared to to share all of my picks, but uh, I, you know, I'm I'm going to respect the. The tease, all 67, the business. All 67 picks you're going to That would be good radio. Just yep. rattle them off. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. No, not nothing until Wednesday or Thursday. Stay tuned. All right. Well, I'm glad we have a little more time to uh, get our brackets in hand this year because uh, because normally the, the silly play-in games are – what uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and we start the tournament Thursday, Friday. So there's like this crazy rush, and then a lot of pools are just like, don't even worry about those games. When in fact, they it's proven that they might have an impact on the tournament, um, as silly as they can be. Uh, because I don't know. I just want to say, discuss first off, how hard is it to get your hands on a paper ballot, <laughs> a paper bracket, right? Like I, I was down in my hotel printer trying to print one out. You can't get your hands in a USA Today, um, so it's it's that that it was so nice to have just that stack of brackets. Because the question I want to my point and what I want to ask you is I it's, I want to talk about bracket integrity, and um, I, so I'll start off by as Tim likes to do, asking you each question. How many brackets do you think uh, you should fill out for the tournament? Like how many different brackets is it okay entries is it to fill out one. One period. I, I, I figured you were going to say that, and and Mike. Well, I gen I have come around to the idea of one, but I will say the proviso is some of these ones with money in, at stake have slightly different <laughs> rules. There's some there's some with a with an upset special double points for an upset, right? Uh, a lower seated team winning. Those are fun. We've got enough, di- and it is amazing. I. Uh, how far it's come in this this concept of bracketology and everybody does a bracket and, and the Washington Post devoted a pretty lengthy uh, overview 
going into championship weekend of how the brackets would maybe be affected. It was from the perspective of people playing brackets in terms of COVID uh, substitutions and what's that? What well, that that's all going to mean? Yeah, isn't that crazy to you guys that that uh, if there's we know that four teams, Louisville's one of them, that's on the list that would go into the tournament in the first 48 hours. I guess now and we got 24 hours. Is if one of these teams has to drop out due to COVID, if Virginia just gives up the the ghost and just says we can't make it, can't get healthy, then um, that team that substitutes for them goes into their seed. Right? They're not going to reseed everything, and so you could have a team right. that was. Out that was essentially number sixty nine or lower in the eyes of the committee could go in to say you know they could be uh, you know in theory the number one seed they could go for Gonzaga mm-hmm. it's just crazy so why don't we call this your point right now and you talk about that and not talk about anybody <laughs> anybody that died and let's right. keep this yeah. because that, see that's a much better point Mike that's that's good that's good. Yeah. And, uh, well, I don't you know, know. I don't know that I'm that up in arms in terms of what. What I don't have a solution to it. I don't have a solution other than maybe I don't like the idea of the last minute substitution. Um, especially you talk about bracket integrity. Uh, our brackets, the NCAA tournament, all that time the committee spent to seed them one through sixteen uh, slash seventy whatever mm-hmm. per bracket per region, and then suddenly you just have this outlier popping right. Now, hey, here we are. And so I kind of got used to the old, it was kind of wild to just uh, click on something and see, oh, you know, Florida State advances over Duke, not contested. I kind of enjoyed that, the uncontested thing. I was getting into that, <laughs> uncontested. And walkover, they used to call that a walkover. What happened to walkover? Well, again, walkover. Let's, let's, let's make, because clearly you shouldn't pick your points, you shouldn't pick your points by... Well, how they emotionally affect you is that why every time it's like someone dies you that becomes your point no you should you should like something intellectual I, like this but anyway intellectual yeah. how do you you don't i how do you know i can't take the death of the person that i'm going to talk about this week and spin it into something that's very <laughs> moving for all of us Be, because we've had that experience for 17 consecutive weeks yeah. and it hasn't happened yet this is not this is not gonna happen uh oh. Anyway, so what's anyway, your point, Kimball? It doesn't seem like you well, have a point. I have a great point, and, and in fact, you, really? you sort of uh, you sort of tripped on it, which is when I asked that question. Yes, I, I can. I really thought a lot about the, the you know bracket integrity, and I do think there's something to that because we all hate that guy. that's like, oh, and six of my pools, I've got them winning, and four. It's like, but what? No, well, who do you think's going to win? But, and you know, Tim and I have talked a lot about bracket integrity, and it's nice to really know where you stand, but. These different rules to different pools is exactly Mike said. You, you got to honor those. I mean, you know, the, the and Tim, you know, I had my early success in that Sports Illustrated pool where I picked Boston College to beat North Carolina, and it was round time seed, and I think that was, and they went on and won a couple of rounds, and the points they got with that were ridiculous, more than any one seed would get by going all the way. So in pools like that, um, you, you just got it. You just got it. Like, pick the upsets and especially when you know it's borderline and and we all know that a lot of these games are really just coin flips and if anyone thinks they're they're great at this you can almost always point to like yeah and if in that first round game that shot had rimmed out <laughs> you lose you know and and that was not like oh i really knew like you know i i picked virginia a couple of years ago i loved it but they were so lucky <laughs> when they 
what was it Auburn? You know when they tied that game, the Purdue game, the Purdue game. Purdue. Was, yeah. was, that was an yeah. incredible ending. So right, exactly twice. So so you know it 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 is like that. So I think it's okay. I would say in a pool with certain rules, one bracket. I know people are like, oh, I, I like to enter multiple. Can I enter five and enter this pool? It's like, no, no, no. no. But, but when the rules change, you know, it, it, it changes how you pick. And, and really, we all know that the chalk usually advances. But when you can pick the upset and get the points from it, that's good. So now I want to talk a little bit about, about what the, the way I saw these, you know, the, how I see these games going in and and I, I'm going to give away some of my thoughts on the on the bracket because I, I wanted to talk about just how we, we talked about seeding last week and how how vital it is and and the frustrations. And one of my biggest frustrations, of course, is you, you go into the tournament with like, oh, I love that team. You know, like I, I love what I see of Virginia Tech. You know, I think that's a great team. I love the way that guy coaches. I love everything about them. And then when, when you're like, I'm, I'm so ready to jump on them in, in the pool. And then it's like, oh, no. Oh, no. Early on, they're going to face another team that I really think is good. And you're just like, what, what am I going to do now? And, and this always happens. And this is part of the frustration of, of these brackets. And, of course, we know, you know, like how many times that happens to you. And you know, like, ah, I, I want to pick the winner of that game in the second round to go all the way to final four, but <laughs> I, I'm I'm going to be heartbroken. And in, and so in this in this tournament, there's you know just going sort of like a, a little bit of my thought process on each on each uh, bracket. And when I looked at the Gonzaga bracket, and you know Gonzaga, Gonzaga bracket, yeah. you know you know like I I'm like oh I want them to lose just you know. Get, and I'm not a big Gonzaga fan. I respect what they've done, but but especially this year now that it seems like everybody's picking them to win it all. No, that's so uninteresting. I want someone to challenge them. And way back when my little Virginia team got their butts kicked by Gonzaga, and I went on this podcast and I said Gonzaga is going to win it all if they can do that to Virginia. But then I said, but of course, you know, Virginia is a younger team and a, a different team than they've had in the past. And wouldn't it be fun if they can get better? And wouldn't it be fun if then Come tournament time, they avenge that loss. And, you know, everyone talks about late, late loss by this mile. What was it? It was like ridiculous, like 26, 30 points, something outrageous. 30. And then they, yeah. Yeah, and, and they get them in the tournament, and then they turn it around. And lo and behold, the bracket comes out, and sitting there at number four is Virginia. And then, of course, there's COVID. So I'm just like, oh, and I want so bad to just jump on that. But we don't even know who's on the team right now. We have no idea who's playing that game. So, they may only and, have five guys, and who knows who those five are going to be. Right, and he doesn't play a deep bench, but he needs a couple guys. And so, yeah, and then so you go down um, to the uh, Kansas bracket. Okay, what will I call it? What is I? I've lost the whole uh, East, South, That's West. the West. Kansas so, is Thank West. you, the West. So, um, no, 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 no. They're, They're in there with Gonzaga. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So you go down that, that portion of it. You know, I, again, same idea. Like, I thought, well, maybe Kansas can make a run at them up uh, COVID. And because, you know, I thought Kansas was getting better. We talked about that. Then I was like, in the East, I was like, Michigan, man, they really are good. Like, you know, we talked about the Big Ten and whatever. But I thought, like, they really have been have been impressive. 
And that's why I reached out to my friend. It's like, I still want to pick Michigan. And even he's like, nah, man. And I'm like, come on, come on. And then I look at the rest of the bracket. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. So I'm kind of going with Texas, Alabama winner. And that's a good. And, and I like both those teams, you know, a bit. But again, it's like, oh, one of them's going to bounce the other out. Let's go over to Baylor, South. And it's just like, here we go. What we've been waiting for. But, you know, I remember back, was it North Carolina beat Oklahoma that one year, that North Carolina, one of Dean Smith's worst teams, and they were 1-8. And Rick Fox hit the shot, and they beat Oklahoma. And I've thought all along that that's what this year's team was capable of because as bad as they've played for much of this year, they still can match up kind of with anyone. They should be able to when they're the leading rebounding team in the country and you have all that size. And and I'm like intrigued by could they bounce Baylor? And Baylor is is really good. I'm not you know saying that, but they could bounce Baylor and then they could be bounced by anybody. <laughs> they could bounce <laughs> Baylor and lose to Winthrop, to whoever, you know, no question. And, and I really, I see that coming very, you know, and, and you know, who knows, but I see that coming over there. And then we go down the bottom half of that, and that's where I'm like, ah, oh, Virginia Tech, ah, oh, why, why do you have to run into Ohio State, which looks like sort of the, the safety net in that bracket? If I'm going to pick North Carolina beat, you know, Baylor and North Carolina not going all the way, they're definitely, Caleb Love will screw that up. But, Virginia Tech and Ohio State are going to face each other. So I'm going to go early preview the winner of that. And finally down to Illinois and Sister Mary, whoever, Pat Jane Jean Marcus Anthony. Mike, gone. She's gone. 36 hours. I predicted it last week. Good luck. Good luck with Illinois. The Sister Jean Mobile is in route. And you love your Illinois too. And ha ha, you got stuck there. You got stuck in the bracket because you should make that point. Because they play in the second round. They're two teams, Illinois and Loyola. One of your little darling teams that you really love, you know, is is going to be gone. And then Oklahoma State. Oh no, favors Illinois there. Like that's that's a really interesting team. And then you go to the bottom, and it's just, ugh. you know what? Houston, really? Really? Is no, Houston absolutely. The, uh, That's yeah, the weakest quadrant in any bracket. No, I know. It's, it's weak. Bunch. So Why? I'm going to go, early instinct is, in a little preview, I think I'm going to go total craziness there, and that's going to be my biggest sleeper, or lowest C to advance, or whatever you call it, the highest yeah. C, the biggest number. West Virginia, because I've always thought Bob Huggins deserves to get there sometime. Like he's had a really good career, and and so and that, that's a killer conference he's in. So there we go. Um, that's where I stand. Early, early sneak preview on mine. I'm not afraid to give it away. And obviously, I haven't even said that much in terms of who I'm really going to go with. But there you go. I'm just so glad that Loyola is going to be gone. <laughs> well. And he said nothing about Josh Passner and and his and the, the coach PPE. He he's he's, make, he's making the he's bringing the face shield well, back, making it well, cool. No, and that's and that's, that's going to be that's really, a wonderful game. Well, well, Illinois has got a tough. Like I agree. Like that's part of Illinois' tough, you know, road because their second round game is going to be a tough one either way, right? And and, and so and then and then you know. There, no, it, it's no it's, not, there's landmines left and right. You're right. Yes. Yeah, on the top part, on their 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 part of the 
I guess that's more than a pod. I don't know. I don't know what. I don't even know what. Like it's so weird that we know they're all in the Indianapolis area, but I haven't even bothered to look. You know, I always. I know that. Do you guys ever overrate geography? I, I've made. I tell myself every year I'm not going to make. This year it doesn't matter. I tell myself every year I'm not going to make an issue that Florida has to get on a plane and go play out west. And then I look at it and like, oh, they're playing San Diego State, you know, at the, <laughs> at, at the LA Sports Arena. That's good. They got to be tired. They got to be This would be a great point for you to make this week, picking up right now. But let's it takes talk. all the way. To the tournament. Well, let's talk about that, Mike, because that's a great point. What a great mm-hmm. topical point. The tournament is a neutral site. <laughs> oh, no, I, year, I see what you're doing. North Carolina had home advantage last year, right? And they just botched it, right? Wasn't that? True, uh, my, oh, two years ago, excuse me, the last tournament, right? Wasn't it like, they don't even have to leave the state. Am I wrong in that? You guys would know. You, Tim, you lived on there. Who knew, who knew Mike had all these brilliant insights on sports? Who knew? <laughs> I mean, who this knew? An open writer, an open writer for Fort Lauderdale Sun Press. He's, he's I love waited, this. He's waited 37 podcasts to share some insights on sports. This is exciting. <laughs> I, I love this event, and I love the Masters. And everything else is kind of hard to keep up. Um, I, so I, audibleize, audibleize. Make your point about this tournament, baby. Do it. Well, I still feel that I'd like to talk a little bit on the back on the back end of this point. I'll give you a little bonus uh, so we have a little time. But first, I should remind our <laughs> listeners. I remind our listeners <laughs> that you are listening to Three Point Range, and you can, if you like more, if you like the sound of what we're doing and the natural back and forth among three friends, we'll go to Substack and check out Three Point Range, and maybe include your email, and you can get more rantings from Kimball and Tim and. And I edit those sometimes and and uh, occasionally. And uh, we also have a Facebook page, Three Point Range. And we this this podcast can be heard at Stitcher and uh, Spotify and Anchor.fm and Google. And spread the word because um, this is all unrehearsed and you'd never know it. So, um, okay. Well, I think that I, I, I'm, this is kind of And now is thing. the time on Three Point Range when we eulogize. <laughs> well, first, first, I'm going to give you a little bonus. Who died this week? <laughs> because I know that next time we gather in a few days, it will be all tournament, and it'll be. And what if somebody dies? NCW. Yeah, well, it depends. Imagine if one of the coaches, one of the coaches, has a you know a bad week physically, and he's gone, and then Tim will be picking that guy. And his got the successor. Hope so you stay on topic then. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know uh-huh. which coach is most likely to pass between now and the start of the tournament. I mean, really. So I just thought I'd duck this in because we talk about my gambling and, and uh, DraftKings. <laughs> and, and, and Kimball got me thinking a few weeks ago where he's like, yeah, I think the Blue Bloods are really, you know, going to surprise. And, and I started to see some improvement from them as well. And, you know, Kentucky would have had to win the SEC tournament to get in. They didn't. And I knew that was going to be really tough because – I do respect Alabama, and they are solid. But uh, the thing is, on DraftKings, you get some. I'm always looking for market inefficiencies, and I'll just let you know that I am on the books with the following long shot odds, and then one that almost came to be. So, what do you think of this? And they—they they are all. I bought in all different times, and these are very small increments. But these are the odds to win it all. I will cash if. Michigan State wins it all. I get no, 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 no. That's Final Four. I get twenty to one if Michigan State gets back to a Final Four, which he does every other year. It's going to be very bad bet. Very, very, very hard. Twenty to one. I'll give you twenty-five to one. Okay. <laughs> uh, if 
Syracuse gets to the Final Four. I think they all, you know, they've done it. Funky team, funky team. Come We're on. 26 to 1. I'll give you to 30 to 1. Four. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, winning the national championship, I have the following teams. Florida State at 20 to 1. That's pretty good. When they, it's you know, not bad. Yeah, mm-hmm. 20 to 1. Uh, Purdue at 40 to 1. I love the Purdue pieces. I know they haven't gone to a Final Four since 1980, but I really respect Painter, and I think he's got all the pieces there, and the Big Ten is the best conference and will probably produce the champions, not always the obvious one. But wouldn't that be something? 40 to 1. Again, we already mentioned they, they had Virginia. They had them just two years ago. The champion was uh, more than on the ropes. Uh, so that's 40 to 1 if that happens. Uh, Purdue has to win it all. I have Carolina 40 to 1. You know, that's pretty good odds when historically, you know, it's just about an even money bet uh, for them to win it all. Maybe two to one, three to one at best. Forty to one this year. Can they Mm -hmm. win six in a row? Sure, they could. But this is the one that really pains me because I knew I had this inefficiency pegged. And I still believe that if they had just made it in, if they had just stayed in Greensboro and not gone back to campus, this team had a chance to run the table, I think we would all agree that Duke could have done it if they were just in it. <laughs> I had Duke at 300 to 1. 300 to 1. If that had cashed, you never would have seen me again. I was done. Well, that's, no, that's that would have been a good bet. And it, mm-hmm. it is funny. And uh, is it official? Is it official they can't sneak in and change the rules? And like, okay, two teams had COVID. They can sneak in. If seven right. teams have COVID, I think they're in. Right. <laughs> So oh, there you go. So I have them at three hundred to one, and uh, I just and how much money did you put down? Well, I, uh, for that one, a dollar, one dollar. Which <laughs> you, I which think we'd still see you again. We'd still see well, you again. I mean, how, I'm not degenerate. I'm not a degenerate. <laughs> three hundred dollars is not going to. I love DraftKings because I could put fifty. I put fifty cents on Syracuse, and I could win thirteen dollars. I mean, if I can turn fifty cents into thirteen dollars and still say it's about the bragging rights, you know that you don't even put money into your pool that you do every year. So uh, that's just a little. That's just a little coda on this week on this portion of the week's. Uh, 300 clams is enough to retire. That's it. You're done. <laughs> 300 clams. Might have been, you live. You, you live. I might have been very, exaggerating. Very sheltered life. He doesn't have heat in his house. He was always wearing a hat when we did the cost podcast. Low. Keep the cost low. So, um, are you squatting? Yeah, I would like to. <laughs> I'd like to. I'd like to take you boys back now. <laughs> To the spring of 1985, oh my and gosh. It just in just a few months, we would meet. The, the three of us would meet, and other people would come into our to our realm. But you guys had already met. But I would meet the two of you in just a few months. But I'm 17 years old, and I'm at the West Palm Beach Auditorium watching a boxing match on closed circuit television. And for our listeners, any younger than us, maybe even any younger than 40, they might have no idea that there was a time when boxing meant enough and was exciting enough and was marketed enough and written about enough and talked about enough and the personalities were so great in the 80s that I would look forward to that for weeks to go to the West Palm Beach Auditorium with my dad and watch Hagler and Hearns on a grainy screen in a theater normally saved for live wrestling matches and uh, it was intense, and people were acting. You felt like you were there. You knew you were not there, but you could you could suspend your disbelief. And that was Marvin Hagler against Hearns, and you've all seen it if you care about sports at all. 
the three greatest rounds in boxing. Not even three full rounds, more blows thrown, more blows landed, just complete savagery. And um, thanks to Super 70 Sports and Professor Ricky Cobb, who knows how to steal those videos, he posted, <laughs> posted that. If I had him on my podcast in the past. Good guy. And he posted that again, and I retweeted that because everyone should see that. But then I, and so we lost Marvin Hagler at age 66. And I never got to interview Marvin Hagler. This is, this is not about Marvin Hagler per se, it's about the idea that any boxing match could captivate enough to make me want to see a movie, a grainy movie, and pay money to, to see that my dad paid. But we probably paid 15 bucks or something <laughs> to, for each of us to be there. And I don't. I couldn't even name uh, a single match that I would. I, I don't know that I could name two boxers right now. I don't know about you guys. If you pay any attention, I used to love boxing, and that was the uh, modern golden era of, in the '80s, and it carried into the '90s with Tyson and Holyfield and Foreman and some crazy stuff that happened. And now uh, it's as dead as horse racing. It would it would appear because when Marvin Hagler dies, and we think back to it, it seems like yesterday. It seems so important. Um, everybody's talking about it at school. Uh, in senior year of high school, it was a big deal to anybody who cared about sports. Can you guys name two modern boxers? Can you? Because I can't. I can't. No. Isn't uh, that no. amazing? I, I mean, I, but I, I will say, well, first of all, did you have a bet on that fight? <laughs> you know, uh, I didn't, but I know that I was a big Hearns fan. I was a big Tommy Hearns fan. And, and so when he lost to uh, Sugar Ray, Leonard, that hurt me. I lost a lot of uh, hallway credibility because I'd been talking up the Kronk Gym and the Motor City Cobra. And uh, uh-huh. then, he, then Hagler, you know, just a wonderful, just a slugfest. And and, uh, and they still, uh, Hearn still respects him to this day based on the, the so I guess he kind of uh, put out there too much information and then he, he had to retract some of it. But um, no, I don't, I don't think right. I lost a bet. I just, I lost some face. But well, what I, a fight. I, I refuse. I refuse to indulge your your hearse chasing, but I will say this: that uh, on the topic of boxing, I remember a conversation I had uh, over lunch very early in my career at Sports Illustrated with uh, with a writer by the name of Franz Lids, mm-hmm. and he was a veteran writer at Sports Illustrated. And I think Steve Russian, who you might know, was at the table that that day as well. And uh, he asked us these two young young whippersnappers, what what we thought was the best best sport to cover. And uh, I think Steve might have said baseball, and I said college basketball, of course, because those were my roots. And he looked at us like we were the stupidest two human beings on earth. <laughs> and we said, we said, well, what is it then? And he said, it's boxing. And over the course of my career there, I came to understand exactly what he was talking about, that boxers are by far the most fascinating people you could ever interview because they do their sport is not something they do because they want to, but because in most cases they have to, I mean, who would do, who would do such a thing um, by choice? And uh, almost every boxer who gets in the ring does so because he, he has to and not because he wants to. And that those, those ingredients are what made for interesting stories. The best interview I ever did was, was with Buster Douglas long after he had, won the, uh, the heavyweight championship in a greatest upset ever over Mike Tyson. He was starting to make a comeback after he'd nearly died um, from ballooning to 400 pounds. And uh, he came back and he was doing his first fight. 
back and uh, he gave me one of the one of the the best interviews that I had the best interview that I've ever had uh, in all of my sports writing career. Hmm. Boxers are fascinating human beings and so I have a, I do have a soft spot in my heart for boxing although I as you suggest it has completely disappeared and I no longer really follow it in any in any way but uh, but there is something about that sport that is uh, that is uniquely interesting uh, from a writing standpoint for sure uh, I mean, has it been uh, you know uh, usurped by MF my MMA, whatever it's called, the silly, <laughs> silly yeah. nonsense that that is. Yeah. is that, I mean, it's like, has all the popularity swung to that? Is every boxing fan sure. pretty much over there? And now they know the names yeah. of those Conor, people. Conor, I don't know the names. McGregor yeah, is the big guy, yeah. We know a few of those. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that's happened, and I don't know if that's that's good or bad. But I can't believe you neglected to man- mention that Sarah Palin was the ring card girl, no, the round card girl for that, false. that, that's ha- false. that Hagler match, right? Yeah. Wasn't he? That was one of her early jobs. Um, mm-hmm. I no. can't believe you let that slip. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I, I will, since we have a couple of minutes, uh, I will say that's interesting. What, uh, that I would not have thought of all the people Tim's interviewed, James Buster Douglas would be the guy um, that was most compelling. But I would submit... Having a, had a chance to meet and interview and write about late career Don King, who's still with us, I believe, at the moment. And what a fascinating character. That he so for that point. Don, <laughs> Don, Don King. Now. Don, Jeez, that I, one. Oh, that's a whole show. That's a whole show. You guys don't get to make any points that week. Because I, I was privileged to be invited as boxing began to teeter and was teetering, and they tried to bring it back. Don King's personal PR guy down in South Florida, uh, invited me to a steak dinner with Don and Bob Arum. And they and Bob was a, his great rival yeah. promoter. All those, I didn't ding you on lids in Russian. Come on. And so uh, that's serious name dropping. So, I, But this is a real story. And and this is, this is I got to be, you talk about maybe. Mine most, wasn't real. I don't know. I, there's, no, there's no proof that that ever happened. But I did write about this. And. <laughs> I was sat next. I was on Don King's right, and he was he was couldn't have been more uh, uh, congenial. And you know, it was the first time we met. And his uh, PR guy was on Don's left, kind of prompting him along. And Don's now like in his mid eighties, I think, maybe even late eighties. But he was trying to make a comeback himself. There's a, there's a couple more scores to be had. And he and Aram and Aram was just so right on it as well. I mean, he also they're, they're contemporaries, and they at one time hated each other. But they needed each other because they were the promoters providing the backstory to this latest generation of of boxers. And really, when Tim says that it's the boxers because of their desperation that makes them such uh, compelling uh, figures for journalists, I disagree. I think it's about so many times it's been about the backstory and the coaching that they've gotten uh, from the Don Kings and the Bob Arums of the world uh, who just lorded over the sport for decades and created these people out out of out of fine cloth and then boom there they were and and they just they just then the ball just kept rolling down the hill and of course they used to ship in uh, the boxing writers and columnists uh, to vegas on junkets and pay for it and they knew that they needed the publicity for months at a time and of course all the you know all the way that obviously muhammad ali the greatest speaker in sports history, probably among the um, in terms of uh, building up the drumbeat of excitement before a big bout, 
he didn't need any coaching. He was his own guy. But so many of the others might have been naturally shy, all about the boxing, um, you know, didn't have me. But they, they were given almost a script, I believe. And so anyway, I got to be with Don King and Bob Arum. It was a very good dinner. And, anyway, uh, I, I don't great. doubt... I don't doubt that really you happened. sat with Bob. I don't doubt that you sat with Bob Arum and Don King. But just be honest, that was at a Gamblers Anonymous meeting, wasn't it? It wasn't over dinner. It was at a Gamblers Anonymous meeting. That would be much it, more. It, it could have been. It could have been. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, it was uh, It was just astounding. And, and you could see the competitiveness in the two guys toward each other. And, of course, at the time, I believe Oscar De La Hoya was getting into promotion and Bob Arum wasn't having it. He would he would rip Oscar De La Hoya at every turn, the Golden Boy, because he turned on him. I just love all those backstories of boxing. But that's all. Basically, those guys are you know Arum's still around, and and I don't hear as much about Don. But um, I will say that I'll leave you with this. Uh, a little after that, I got to write something about uh, Don King and his late wife. And so then the next time at Henrietta, I believe her name was. And so the next time I see him, he had read it. He had read it, and he saw me coming. And I got the treatment. I finally got the treatment. He announced to a, a half-filled room in a in a in a ballroom in South Florida. He said, "Mike Baradino, what Picasso does with paints, this man does with words." And and that was it. I could have retired right then. I, I basically have. So uh, <laughs> I've got that. He's never used that line on anybody else. So anyway, that's uh, jacket that's cover. Our, jacket cover of your book. That's our show. Mm-hmm. For this time, and this is, we'll see you again later in the week with tournament picks. This has been Three Point Range for Kimball Crosley, for Tim Crothers, for Don King, Bob Arum, and the late Marvin Hagler. Marvelous Marvin Hagler. I'm Mike Berardino. Thanks for listening.